Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 is where we're going to start reading here in just a couple of minutes. But as we come to the end of this book today, we realize that Ephesians has been an incredibly dense and powerful conversation about who Jesus is, about what he has done for us, and what life with him can really be like. Some things I've been thinking about this week as I've sort of prepared for the end of this book, things that we have dealt with throughout the book of Ephesians. God has adopted us to be his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, the one who conquered death itself. Christ has had all authority given to him, and we find salvation by the abundant mercy and grace of God when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Christ tears down every division the world builds between us. He kills all of that hostility and makes us all His one eternal church. And we are called to live in this brand new life until we grow up into the image and the stature of Jesus Christ. We walk in love as children of light. And even our homes and relationships can find redemption and renewal in Jesus Christ. And then Paul's final thought as he draws us to the end here in chapter 6, don't forget this is all about spiritual warfare. We have an enemy, but we have a God who is even greater. So the final point that he makes about spiritual warfare itself is where we are today. And it's his final thought in the entire book. And his thought that closes all of this is about prayer and it's about courage. So Paul calls us to pray. And it's not just spend a couple of minutes in prayer or pray when we are together in service or in a small group, but in intense purposeful prayer for each other, for him, and for the rest of the church. It's really a powerful call to prayer that Paul gives us here. So he calls us to pray, and then Paul asks for courage. Now this courage is all about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who don't believe, to people who will dismiss him when he talks about the gospel, to people who will mock him when he does so, and even those who will persecute him when he talks about Jesus Christ. But Paul won't let any of that stop him. But he wants prayer. He wants the church involved in exactly that process. And what happens is he leads the way for every single one of us to boldly proclaim the gospel to the world that is losing even the little bit of good news that it thought it had. He wants us to be just as courageous proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's begin reading in this passage. Let's pick it up here at verse 18 and let's read a couple of verses. Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. We've noticed a couple of times in Ephesians, Paul lets us know that he's actually imprisoned for preaching the gospel. 
for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Praying at all times in the Spirit. So as Paul begins to pull all of this together, not just the the notion of spiritual warfare, but the rest of the themes of the book, this is where he lands for you and me in this book. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, the armor of God is often listed as six things that Paul gives to us. He wants us to kind of put on. He uses all of that military imagery about what we do, and it's usually listed as these six things, right? The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the readiness, the gospel of peace, that we take the gospel of peace everywhere that we go, the shield of faith that we pick up all the time, which can extinguish everything the enemy throws at us, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But he finishes it all with what I consider to be the seventh component, and that is prayer. This is what pulls it all together for the Apostle Paul inside of our lives. In everything now, I want you guys praying at all times in the Spirit and in all kinds of different ways with perseverance and keep alert and with supplication and think of other believers and think of me. He wants us praying. So remember, folks, that all of these things, the armor of God is intended for every single one of us. The armor of God is not necessarily a pick-and-choose thing. I like this, and so I'm going to work on this, and I'm going to ignore the rest. The armor of God is something that over time we pay attention to, and that's how we walk through it. How do I do this? How do I learn what this means? Why are these things, uh, you know, spiritual warfare, what's important about them? He wants all of us putting all of this on over time, paying attention to all of it. So it's necessary for absolutely every believer and we grow in all of these we deliberately spend time with all of these and we learn what our enemy's schemes are like and we learn what it is to draw closer and closer to Jesus Christ and so prayer is no different prayer is a staple of the Christian life Prayer really is about intimacy and conversation. Prayer really is about access for the Holy Spirit into our hearts and minds and lives, our conversation, our vocabulary, our thoughts, the reading of the Word of God, our interactions with each other. Prayer is an absolute foundational issue for the Christian in our walk with Jesus Christ. Prayer is trust. Prayer is trust that God never changes, but he is good and he is mercy and grace. And God is always powerful and the kingdom of God can never be shaken. I trust in those things. And so my prayer finds a place that is sure and finds this magnificent foundation. Prayer is trust. Prayer is commitment. It takes time and effort. We build it over time. It's commitment to the ways of God, the wisdom of God. Prayer is concern and it is love. How often are we driven into prayer because of those things that come into our lives that overwhelm us, that we need God to intervene in? Those that we love in our family and friends and our congregation and the rest of the church, prayer is concern and prayer is love and prayer is hope. That we go to a God who actually hears We go to a God who is actually involved in these prayers. 
and a God who will know exactly how and when to answer the prayers of his children. Prayer, all of these things. So Paul begins by telling us, I want you to pray all the time in the Spirit. I love this thought. As children of God, we can be assured that our prayer, our communication with God, is never really empty. Friends, one of the gifts that God gives His children is the work of His Spirit drawing us into Himself. See, this is part of the manifestation of God in our lives. This is part of what God gives us, not just His presence and His blessing and His, you know, gifts that He gives, but one of the greatest ones that He gives is that He pulls us closer and closer to Himself so we can be assured that when we are in communication with our Heavenly Father, as Paul says, it's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's actually filled with a third member of the Trinity acting as communication and love and connection between us and our Heavenly Father. So we can be assured that our prayers are filled with the Spirit of God. Now I know that so often we can end up saying just empty things, thoughtless things. We can sort of go through the motions and those things are empty. But it's empty because of what's coming from me, not what God wants. But when it is real for us, it is actually filled with the Spirit of God. I read this image um, in an old Puritan pastor. I love the way that he put it. He said, you know what? The sun is always shining. But if I close my eyes and I complain that it's dark, it's not because the sun quit shining. It's because I closed my eyes. But if the sun is shining and I open my eyes, I can begin to see. And that light begins to make its way in. God is always present. God is always communicating. The light of Christ is always shining. And in prayer, we open our eyes who He is and what He is doing and how He is changing us. So guys, notice this. Our prayer lives are not about how it makes us feel. Sometimes we fall into this trap that, well, you know, this, this, you know, prayer really matters when I feel it, when it makes me weep, when it makes me happy, when it makes me courageous to speak the gospel. When I feel something emotionally, that's when prayer is right and true. Now, oftentimes that really does happen, and that's a blessing when that happens. But prayer, friends, is ultimately reliant upon the objective truth that God listens, that God cares, and that God is involved. So friends, I've got to tell you, after doing this following Jesus thing for decades, prayer on my end feels almost empty more than I want it to. But my prayer life is not dependent on how I feel about it. It's the objective reality that it's filled with the Spirit of God, that God exists God is listening, and God cares, and God is powerful. Now, this includes, as he says, praying at all times in the Spirit. This includes includes even the divine prayer language that the Holy Spirit gives to believers who ask him. 
We call this in our circles the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this this gift that God desires to give to all of us, to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And this is actually how the church begins in the book of Acts, is with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is manifested through the speaking of tongues. In Acts chapter 2, the first four verses, after the disciples have been gathered together in prayer, this is what happens and this is what begins the church. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues and other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And this gift became not just something that that rested inside of their souls and gave them boldness and courage, but it became a witness in that chapter to those who were around them. Those who were around them were astounded that they're hearing the praises of God in their own languages, languages that the disciples had not learned. So Peter stands up and he begins to speak and explain what's happening here, and he closes that sermon by saying, this gift is for you and for your children and for whoever will believe. Pray at all times in the Spirit, Paul says. He says, I want you to keep alert and with all perseverance and supplication, I need you praying. So keep alert. The vocabulary in this passage feels almost repetitive. As you read it through, you kind of think, well, I just, I just, wait a second, did I just read that? Am I rereading something? The vocabulary feels almost repetitive because Paul wants to emphasize, re-emphasize to us exactly how important this is for us. Keep alert. Cool little phrase. Stay awake at all times and keep at it. Keep at it. Keep praying. Keep pressing in. Keep giving into the prompting of the Holy Spirit to draw you into the presence of God. Keep at it he says. So friends, think about this. Prayer is not always about those kind of long, dedicated times of communication with God. And I know it it, it comes off that way. Sometimes that's sort of our default position. Do you pray? Well, yeah, I pray every now and then before I go to bed, before I go to work, maybe in my car, my way. I've got kind of these long, extended times of prayer, and we need those, and that's absolutely a time of prayer. But it, friends, is also about, because we can't always do that, it is also about a constant awareness of God's presence and God's care. Constant awareness. We can develop through habit, through work, we can develop this thing inside of us that becomes constantly aware of the presence and the power of God. There's this great story that an Assemblies of God minister from a couple of generations ago tells, and he had this crazy sense of humor. Um, but he's talk, he talks about this. He's, he, was a, he was a young student in Bible college, and he was, he was, uh, he was passionate about prayer. And he thought to himself at one point, he said, I'm going to stay up all night long, and I'm, I'm going to have this personal prayer vigil. And he thought, I've got to close out every distraction around me. I can't be in my dorm room. I can't be here. I can't be there. So he literally went and found a closet. So he found a closet, he took a Bible, brought a little flashlight, and he sat down inside of his closet, 
just as kind of it was curfew, he closes the door, it's quiet, he's by himself, and he just begins to dig in. And he prays and he prays. And he thinks about everybody he knows and every need he knows. And he prays and he prays. He thinks of every missionary he knows and every missionary he's written down, every verse of Scripture he's memorized. And he prays and he prays and he prays. And he exhausts himself in prayer. And he thinks, I just can't pray anymore. This is incredible. So he opens the door and he looks at the clock and he's been in the closet for 15 minutes. That's what it's like sometimes, I know. Prayer can become this constant awareness of the presence and the power of God. So Paul can say, I want you praying all the time in the Spirit of God. Friends, if it is true, and Scripture says it is, if God never leaves us and never forsakes us, then God is always present with us and He is always guiding us. Paul says, I want you to do this with all perseverance. This is a word that Paul uses here that is used in the world around him. And it's used to describe the process of learning a trade. You, you go through this process of initiation and journeyman and so forth before you get licensed in a trade and you become the expert and you can begin to train others. He said it's like that. It is this process of work and habit and perseverance, of learning from others who've gone ahead of me. This is how they do it. I'm inspired by how they interact with the presence of God, with how they speak, with how they interact with prayer in the Word of God and in worship and in their presence. And, and on and on, we're inspired by that, so we learn from that. It's this constant developing habit of prayer. A few years ago, I had an opportunity to sit in on a conversation with, a, with a, a Christian professor of psychology, and he was talking about how prayer works in the brain. And I've never lost sight of, of this little detail, because I love this, this little fact. So scientists who love to do all kinds of crazy experiments, they will sometimes do, or they, they've done these tests, where they, um, they take MRI scans of the brains of musicians while they're listening to music. So here's what happens. If you imagine going to the Philharmonic and you're listening to a concert, you can sit there and you can appreciate the music and it's beautiful and you love it, but you really don't know anything about music. You don't play an instrument. You've never kind of gone through that process. You can still enjoy that music, but you're sitting next to someone who is a professional musician. They've spent a lot of time learning music and learning their instrument. You guys are listening to the same song. What they are hearing is a lot more. They can actually pick out this part and how it interacts with this part, and they're hearing the key modulations, and they're hearing this and that. You're listening to the same music, but the MRI scans show that the brain of the musician is literally brighter than the brain of someone who's not a musician. They're hearing more. Their brain is firing more synapses. More is going on when they listen to music. They've done the same scans on nuns when they pray. And when nuns who have been in the habit and the discipline of praying for years or for decades, the same thing happens. Their brain is brighter. There are more synapses firing. There's more going on because they have persevered in prayer. We can develop the discipline and the habit of what this is like, our long dedicated times of prayer, as well as just that constant interaction with the presence of God. 
So guys, prayer is a commitment to the reality and the power of God. Never brush aside that statement, I'll be praying for you. Don't dismiss that. Don't use it lightly because we are committing to the reality of God and the power of God. I want you to do it with all perseverance. I want you praying in the Spirit. I want you to keep alert. And he says, I want you to do it with supplication for the rest of the church of Jesus Christ. And for me, he says. So friends, you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're part of something that is grand and glorious. Something much larger than we are. Something that comes from the very heart of God is filled with the presence and the very Spirit of God. We are part of something that will last into eternity and that is the church of Jesus Christ. So he says, I want you praying for the church. This is God's divine conspiracy, the church itself. God is at work building a kingdom of people to be his ambassadors here on earth and who will be able to rest in his presence for all of eternity. This is what God is up to. And we don't do this alone. We inherit the work and the sacrifice of those who went before us. And then we pass along the kingdom of God to those who come next. So as part of something bigger, we support each other in prayer. And when you read through Paul's epistles, you get to these points in, in his books, especially at the ends of his books, where Paul is deliberate about connecting churches with each other. He travels with a team of individuals, and that team of people will stay here for a little while, then they'll travel to this city and they'll find Paul, and Paul will say, I'm sending you this guy so that you can hear about what's happening here. I'm sending you this person so that he can encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Paul is constantly connecting the church to itself everywhere that he can. And this is part of what happens in the last section of the book. So let's pick up reading chapter 6, verse 21. Here's part of what Paul says. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. This letter may have even come in the hands of Tychicus so that he could explain it all and talk to them about what was happening. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love that is incorruptible. So Tychicus is one of Paul's team and took word back and forth to other churches, bringing encouragement and bringing news about Paul and about other churches. The church of Jesus Christ, when these letters are written, when these letters are read, the church is brand new. We're still in the first and the beginning of the second generation of people who are followers of Jesus Christ. Sometimes the, the churches around the Mediterranean there, sometimes they're struggling Sometimes, in some places, they're actually thriving, even under difficult circumstances. Sometimes, they are suffering overt persecution. But there was strength to be had in every one of these places when they knew that there were brothers and sisters in Christ who were faithful. 
that there was a church that was growing and thriving, not just here, but in this city and in this nation. There was a church that was growing in this language, and people who've never heard of Jesus Christ are now hearing of Jesus Christ in their own language, in their own culture, and they and their families are becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Guys, the community of faith, this thing that we are a part of, the community of faith is stabilizing for us. It is encouraging for us. I don't know if you've noticed, but it has been a complicated year for the American church. But friends, we're only a small part of God's divine conspiracy. The kingdom of God does not rise and fall with the American church. It's part of what God is up to. And the rest of the church across the globe teaches us that faithfulness and endurance overcomes whatever is thrown at the church. I continue to be shocked by American pastors often young American pastors who through this summer have gotten in the habit of mocking the need for the church to gather. I'm not kidding you. They mock the need for the church to gather. They do that in our American context when there are Christians around the world who are risking life and limb, they're risking imprisonment and persecution so that they can gather together as the body of Jesus Christ. We will gather. We will get together and we will worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We will encourage each other and we will pray for the church of Jesus Christ. So this kind of thing, I want to send this guy to you. He has this book. We're going to read it. We're going to talk about it. But I want you to hear what's going on with me. I want you to hear what's happening in these other cities so that you can pray for them and be encouraged by that. It teaches us to pray more often for each other, the church across town and the church across the world. And Paul closes with this blessing for the church. Again, if you read his epistles, this closing, the last verse and a half, couple of verses, is familiar. Paul likes to do this. Peace and grace I pray upon you. Love and faith I pray upon you in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. It isn't just I want Christ to be with you, but that the presence of Jesus Christ is full of a very specific kind of character. To have the presence of Jesus Christ at work amongst us as the body of believers is to have a presence that is full of grace, to have a spirit that is full of mercy and love and faith. This is the character of Jesus Christ with the church. The world is spiraling down under the weight of fear and anxiety. That is the character of our enemy. Where our enemy is at work, his character is at play, and there's fear and anxiety and division, and on and on and on the story goes. We've talked about a lot of that with the armor of God. But this is one reason why they and we need to be in the church. Because Christ in his character is with us here Christ's peace that passes all understanding. Christ's grace 
that looks past all of my shortcomings and meets my need with his unstoppable and perfect goodness. And this is good news for everyone. This is good news for everyone. And everyone needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul asks the church, he says, I need you to pray for me so that I may open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel so that I'm in chains, but even while I am in chains, I am an ambassador for the kingdom of God and pray that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So we've mentioned that prayer is a commitment to the reality and the power of God. We also notice this in this passage. The courage of the gospel, the courage of gospel witness is commitment to the glory of God and to the good of my neighbor. The follower of Jesus Christ wants the name of our heavenly Father to be hallowed here on earth. We want it to be holy. We want it to be glorious. We want it to be great. So we commit ourselves in our courage, the courage of our gospel witness is commitment to the glory of God here on earth and his commitment to the good of my neighbor. So Paul personally, he's unafraid to ask this, He wants the prayers of the church so that he can continue to talk boldly about Jesus Christ. And it's not just the Ephesians. Paul does this a few times when he writes to Christians around the world. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Some of this will sound familiar. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly just as I should. Pray for me that I can do that. And he uses in Ephesians this passage that has been the theme of this book for us, the mystery of the gospel. He's come back to that thought right here at the very end of the book. I want to preach the mystery of the gospel. And remember, when we speak of the word mystery, we're not talking about something that is difficult to know or something that is fuzzy or, some, or maybe something that only a few special people can actually know. A mystery in the New Testament sense is something that was once veiled but is now revealed. So now we know in full who this Christ is and what he is doing inside of the church. It is the kind of truth that we continue to grow in and learn in and walk in as we get closer and closer and closer to Jesus Christ and as we get closer to that day when we will see him face to face. This mystery is something we learn more and more. So friends, whatever Paul or the early church faced, right, what they wanted was courage. You see, Paul's world needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world that was ruled by the Roman Empire, the world that was filled with any pagan religion you desired to follow, this world needed change. Paul's world needed hope. It needed the truth of Jesus Christ in flesh. It needed the truth of its own sin and sin's solution. 
In this world, the gospel is brand new. People were learning it for the very first time, what kind of hope there was in Jesus Christ. And so Paul and the early church sought out courage to proclaim that. We read from Acts chapter 2, the very beginning of the church. And the book of Acts is the, the history of the early church, those first few years Peter and Paul and the early ministry of those disciples and how the gospel begins to spread in that first generation of believers. And things happen quickly. So the church begins there in Acts chapter 2. Miracles take place in Acts chapter 3. And then persecution begins in Acts chapter 4. It's this moment where a couple of disciples are standing in the temple and they're proclaiming and God is doing magnificent things. And the religious leaders come to them and they demand that they stop teaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And so persecution falls in Acts chapter 4. Those disciples go back to the body of believers. They go back to the church. They tell the story. And so then the church begins to pray. And what the church prays at the first moment of opposition in Acts chapter 4 is astounding. And here's part of what they pray in Acts 4 verses 29 through 31. And now, Lord, look upon their threats And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. At the first sign of opposition, what they wanted was the courage to keep talking about Jesus. You, Lord, we ask that you would continue to perform miracles in people's lives. Because that's part of what caused this. But grant us what we need to talk about you to this world. Paul's world needed the gospel. Our world is no different. Our world needs courageous and wise Christians as much as it has ever needed us. Our world still needs, our world especially needs, the courage of Christians who know that the gospel is good news. They just haven't been told by somebody else that it's good news, but they themselves have inherited it, have experienced it, have read through it, have prayed through it, and I know that this is good news for me and for everybody else. This world needs Christians who know this is good news and that it has what it takes to deal with what is the hollow shell that is our culture. Our culture is weak and broken. And there is only one thing that can fix it. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are his ambassadors. We continue to pray for courage and boldness. So friends, our courage as faithful Christians is commitment to the glory of God. God is full of glory in himself. And he reveals that glory to us. And we honor that and we proclaim that through our endurance and through our faithfulness. This world thinks it wants to see a modernized and up-to-date version of God. But that God is no God at all. 
What they need to see is a great and mighty God in a church that will follow him no matter what. And friends, our courage is for the good of our neighbor. Remember how we opened this morning, what we've read through the book of Ephesians. We proclaim this Jesus who conquered death and saved a bunch of sinners. This Jesus who has all authority and power. This Jesus who kills the hostility that this world is perpetually creating between us. This Jesus who is the light of our lives, the light of our homes, the light in our relationships. This Jesus who has defeated the enemy of our souls and grants us life eternal. Let's pray.